book of Daniel, and we'll be in chapter number 10 tonight, Daniel chapter number 10. Um, what Daniel chapter 10 is, it's an introduction to Daniel's fourth and final vision, and some vision it is. Uh, basically, what we're going to see in, in chapter 10, he's going to introduce the vision, in chapter number, beginning in chapter number 11, he's going to cover a time period in the first part of 11 that uh, takes place from the time of Daniel or the time of Darius until the time of Antiochus Epiphany. So that's going to be the first part of the prophecy. You've got to kind of get that down and we'll see that as we get into chapter 11 and chapter 12 uh, uh, because you've got to see where that break comes where he actually in the last half of chapter number 11, then he will... Uh, be looking at will be given a prophecy about the great tribulation and the antichrist and so it'll kind of switch gears but basically it covers a long long time and so it covers a couple of chapters and then in the the last part of chapter 12 he will be given an exhortation about uh, about the sovereignty of God and about the fact that we know that no matter how bad things look that God is on his throne and God in the end God is going to win and that's what Daniel's going to be told and so we, as we come to chapter 10, we, we kind of set the setting. And, and you can see why he was given this vision and why he wanted this vision. In fact, you got to ask the question. I mean, here's a guy who's almost 90 years old. And he's given a prophecy about things that are going to happen thousands of years from, from that particular time when he's given the prophecy. And so you got to ask, why would God give that to him? I mean, did he really need that? Well, well he asked for it and he got it. He needed to be comforted, and, and, and God gave him the comfort he needed in the form of this prophecy. But what's the main reason you think maybe Daniel was given this prophecy? To glorify God, to glorify the omniscience of God, to speak to us in this, these latter days about what we can expect to happen. And so I'm really glad he asked for the vision, and I'm really, God wanted to give the world the vision, and he had a man who asked for the vision. And he got the vision, and he wrote it down, and and we're given that vision in, in these last few chapters of, of uh, the book of Daniel. And it's going to take a while to, 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 to wade our way through this. But it's some really, really interesting stuff as, as, as we'll finish up these last two chapters. And I, and I got to say, probably the most complicated chapter in the Bible to interpret, even more complicated than some of the chapters in the book of Revelation, is chapter 11 of Daniel. It, it, it's a complicated chapter to interpret. But... We'll get it right with, with your prayers and, and a lot of study. All right. So let's, let's look at uh, beginning in verse number one, chapter number 10, verse, verse number one. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, Darius is still reigning in Babylon. It's the Medan Persian Empire. But in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name is called Belshazzar. The message was true. But the appointed time was long. Remember what I said? This vision covers a long, long time. Uh, and, and it goes way out thousands of years from when Daniel was writing this vision down. And here's what's interesting. Look what it says there. And he understood the message. I mean, you remember how in the earlier visions he didn't understand the message. Uh, but Daniel's learned his lessons and he studied his prophecy. He studied those visions that he was given before. And he's actually going to have an understanding of this, of this, this vision. It says, and he, and he had an understanding of the vision. Verse number two. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, 
no meat or wine came to my mouth, and I did not anoint myself at all with oil and spices till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. So here's Daniel. He's in his mid-80s. Uh, he's probably retired at this point. We know that because over in chapter one, we're told that uh, he worked for the government through the first year of the first through Cyrus's first year of his reign. And so probably Daniel's retired. He probably still is a, an advisor to Darius, but he's retired at this point. And uh, uh, he's given this vision. Uh, he asked for the vision and he's given this vision. Now, that first year of Cyrus is also notable because. What happened in that first year of Cyrus? Do you remember that the, the decree went out for the Jews to go back to Israel? And that was an answer to to Daniel's prayer. So that decree went out. And uh, so so it's an important year. It's a notable year. And uh, in the third year, uh, he, he gets this. Uh, he gets this vision. Now, why did he get the vision? Because he asked the Lord for the vision. Now, when Cyrus issued the decree for the Jews to go back to Israel, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews in captivity, but only 40,000 or less than 40,000 of them returned. Some say around 35 to 40,000 Jews returned. That's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, here they had, here they had uh, been given these great promises and those promises were attached to the promised land. And, and now the opportunity comes back, comes uh, for them to go back into the land, back to the to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city and worship Jehovah God. And hey, you know, most of them didn't really care at that point. They had established themselves in, in Babylon and they had their own personal things going on. And uh, a lot of them had married pagan wives and a lot of them had, were worshiping pagan gods. And so they really didn't care. I mean, here was Daniel. I mean, he was on his knees three times a day praying, Lord, please let us go back to the land. And, he, and, and, and probably he, not only did his prayers influence the decision, but his power probably had some influence over the decision. And then they give, they give them the right to go back to the land, but nobody wants to go. And I think Daniel's really sad about that. I think he's really troubled about that. And so what does he do? Uh, he goes on a fast. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I could see why he was troubled. I mean, not many of them wanted to go back into the land. Uh, the ones that he, that did want to go back, he got word from them. He got news of what was going on there. And, and the news was troubling. It wasn't good. I mean, uh, they, they, the Jews had, had, had made that long trip down to uh, Israel and to Jerusalem. And they had seen the city in ruins. And they looked around and they saw the temple destroyed and the walls of the cities destroyed. And they said, we can't ever rebuild this. Who are we, this little mob of Jews? Who are we going to, who are we to think we can rebuild this temple and rebuild the city and rebuild the walls? And so I think they were really discouraged. And not only that, some of the Jews that had, had been left behind had, had assimilated into that culture, into the Assyrian culture and then the Babylonian culture. And so uh, uh, they didn't want the Jews coming back to the land. They, they didn't want it at all. And so they began, you know, their, their own uproar and began to demand that that uh, that uh, they be sent back. And and uh, Cyrus got word of that. And so uh, in the second year of his reign, they stopped the work on the temple and they stopped the work on the city. And so uh, they got their way. And uh, later on, they would pick back up. But uh, for that time being, it had stopped. 
And so here, here, here they are back in the land. And not, and not only that, Daniel gets word that, or probably gets word that, hey, because we know this was going on, you can read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, but that many of the people, uh, many of the Jews that made up this remnant had gone back to the same ways that had brought them into captivity in the first place. And so he's troubled. He's troubled. And so what he does, he steps up his prayers. And Daniel was a praying man when Daniel stepped up his prayers. I mean, that really, he really stepped up his prayers. And, and so he prayed and he fasted for three weeks uh, in order to get this uh, answer to his prayers. And the answer to the prayer that he got were uh, he was troubled for Israel and he, and he was mourning over Israel. And what God gave him was this fourth vision. Now look at his fast. Look at, look at the fast that, it, that he made. It says, I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came to my mouth. Now, what does that tell you? If for three weeks he ate no pleasant food and no meat and no wine came to his mouth, then what happened after three weeks? I mean, a lot of people say Daniel was a vegetarian or, or teetotaler. He, I don't think he was. I think at times he was. But he went on a fast. And for three weeks he didn't eat any meat and he didn't. Uh, anoint himself with any oil or any spices and he didn't drink any wine. But I'm sure when that fast was over, he drank a little wine, he ate some meat and, and he anointed himself with oil again. He said, nor did I anoint myself at all, till, at all with, with oil or spices till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now that's a good example of an effective fast. I mean, if you want to, if you want to look in the Bibles for good fast, a way to fast, that's, that's a good example of how to fast. I mean, Daniel didn't starve himself. Daniel ate vegetables. Uh, he drank water. He didn't, he didn't uh, uh, play games with his health. I mean, but he went on a fast. And what, did, what was he doing in that fast? He was depriving himself of some of the pleasures of life. And that's a good example of how we can fast. If you want to go on a fast you want to, for, because you're mourning over something or because you're wanting God to move in a certain way in your life or because you're wanting to hear a word from God, Fast is a good thing. I believe that. But but uh, you don't have to kill yourself in a fast. I mean, one of the things you can do, I mean, just give up some of the pleasures in your life. You might want to give up the television set for a month. I know that would probably be some of you really give up food, but give up TV for a month. Give up movies for a year. Give up Burger Smith for three weeks. Now, we're not going to do that. I mean, not it might be, you know, you might want to give up uh, eating out. Uh, any of those things, you know, there's no law on this. When we're fasting, what we're doing, we're depriving ourselves of a pleasure because we want to be experience the pleasure of God. We're saying, Lord, I'm going to turn from this for a season so I can turn to you. And that's what Daniel was doing right here. And, and, it, and, it, and it had a good effect. So he fasts and prays. He gets this vision and the vision is for a long period of time. It covers the time from Darius to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, and then all the way out to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's interesting, as I said earlier, that he grasps the meaning of the vision, that he understands the meaning of the vision. Did he understand everything about uh, Daniel chapter 11 and everything he was given in that vision? Man, if he did, he's, he's smarter than anybody I've ever met. I don't know how he could understand it all. I don't think he understood it all. He understood the meaning of the vision. And this is what I want you to see, because that's what I want you to understand from the vision. We're going to we're going to try to look at the details of this vision. We're going to try to interpret uh, the vision. Uh, 
But we're not going to be exact. I can tell you that right now. And, and so, but we can be exact about what the vision means. And what, what, what does this vision mean that Daniel's going to see? Well, at first of all, it means that the callings and elections of God are for sure. Here was Israel in shambles. And here was Daniel mourning over the state of Israel. And what God is saying to Daniel in this vision, hey, I haven't given up on Israel. Remember what Paul mourned the same way. You read chapters 9, 10, 11 of Romans. Remember how he mourned for the people of Israel, 9 and 10? And, and, and what was he told in the end? Remember what he told? That all of Israel will be saved. All of Israel will be saved. And I think that's the message that Daniel gets in this vision, that God is still on his throne, that the callings and elections of God are for sure, and that all of Israel would, will be saved. And I believe Daniel was greatly comforted by this, by this vision. So let's look at the setting for the vision and beginning in verse number four. It says, now on the 24th day of the first month. Now we know he's in Babylon. Why, I wonder why Daniel didn't go back to, to Israel with a remnant. Well, there's a lot of reasons in there. I mean, he was, he was almost 90 years old. That's a good reason to not travel. You know, they didn't have super highways or airplanes or anything like that. So there was a lot of, you know, it just would have been a hard trip for him. He only had a few years left to live in his life. And he probably, because of the influence he had in, in, on King Darius and on King Cyrus and over the per, Mede Persian Empire, he probably felt he could better serve his people by staying in Israel. And I think that's probably the main reason he stayed. But man, his heart, he really wanted to go back. But we know he's there because it says that on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris River. So we know that's, that's in Babylon. I lifted my eyes and I looked and behold a certain man. Now let's look at this man. Now let's see if you can figure out who he is. A certain man clothed in glowing white cloth. Maybe a better interpretation of that. They, they didn't have electricity back then, but I think if they did, he would have said this electric light lit up garment. You know, but, it, but it's this, this white linen whose waist was girded with, with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl. Beryl would be like a diamond. It just, it's, it just, his body shone like a diamond, shined like a diamond. His face had the appearance of lightning. He's doing everything he can to, to explain what? To describe what? The glory of God. That's what he's doing right there. His eyes were like torches of fire. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of, the words, of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Who, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus Christ. I, 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 it's got to be Jesus Christ. Does, that, does that, any of that sound familiar to any of you? Where do we see a description very eerily similar to that elsewhere in the Bible? Where do we see that? The book of Revelation. Flip there with me for a minute. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Look down and keep your fingers back in Daniel. Look down in verse number 12. And I'll just kind of summarize it here. He says, then I turned, verse number 12, Daniel chapter 1, I mean, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. One like the Son of Man, clothed, just like Daniel said, like a man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, verse number 15, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is a sound of many waters. And then skipping on into verse 16. Out of his mouth went a short two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. 
And what did John do in verse number 17 when he saw him? He did the same thing Daniel did when he saw him. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now go back to chapter 10, verse number 5, and look at the similarities. The shining countenance, the feet of brass, the mighty voice, the eyes like fire. Well, it sure sounds like the same guy to me, doesn't it? That's got to be none other than the glorified Jesus Christ. So most scholars, or a lot of scholars, I won't even say most, I haven't taken a poll on it, but a lot of scholars believe that this is what is known as a theophany, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus Christ, the glorified Jesus Christ. But there's a problem with that interpretation, a serious problem with that interpretation. So you want to get really confused? Let's jump ahead down to verse number 12. And here's where a lot of people say it can't be Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse number 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the, watch this. But the prince of Persia withstood me 21 days, and I couldn't beat the guy. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Now, we'll look at that in some more detail next week. I'm not going to get into the interpretation of that, but I just want you to look at, look at the problem here. Here is Jesus Christ, I think. But let me ask you a question. Does the creator of the angels, good and bad angels, we're told in the Bible, all powers, all authorities were created by him. The creator of Michael, the archangel himself, does he need Michael to help him fight some high-powered demon? No. So if, you, so if you just look at verses 12 and 13, then you've got to say it's not Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth a second time, I mean, all he does is speak and all these hordes of demons are destroyed. The devil and his, and his uh, demons are thrown in the, into the pit. So just by his word and all of these armies are destroyed. So he doesn't need Michael to come save him. And so that doesn't seem to fit with the idea that this is Jesus Christ. Here's what I believe. And I think a lot of expositors believe this too. There were more than one being there at this vision. Maybe three. Maybe Michael. Maybe an angel. And maybe uh, Jesus, and for sure Jesus Christ. I mean, the first thing he does, he sees Jesus Christ. And when he sees Jesus Christ, he falls on his feet, as, he falls on his face as dead. I mean, go back, go, go to the next verse and look at verse number seven. And, Dan, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the man who was with me did not see the vision, but great terror, terror fell upon them, fell, fell upon him too. So that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and I saw the great vision. And no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me. And I retained no strength. And we know he's on his face. Just looking ahead at the next few verses. He's, he falls on his face as dead. Just like John did. So here's more than likely what happened. Daniel sees the glorified Lord. He falls on his face. And then an angel comes along to begin to tell him the vision. 
a great angel, a powerful angel, for sure, but uh, an angel. Now, I, I, if an angel was to appear in this room right now, in all his glory, I promise you it would be a frightening sight. I mean, a frightening sight. I mean, uh, angels are powerful beings. They're glorious beings. I mean, beyond anything we've ever seen. And I think that's one of the reasons that when we do see angels, they appear as human beings because we couldn't handle it if they appeared in all of their glory. You know, you couldn't handle it if the person next to you appeared in all of their future glory. One day you're going to shine like that. When we see Christ, what does the Bible say? We will be like him. I mean, you're going to be one bad-looking dude too, one bad, good-looking dude when you get uh, glorified. So here's Daniel, in verse, back to verse number 7. And I alone saw the vision, and the men who were with me did not see the vision. But they knew something was up. What does that remind you of? You remember when Paul was saved on the Damascus Road, and he saw the glorified Lord. All those people thought it was, you know, something weird was going on in the sky, and they thought it was thunder or lightning or something like that, but they were scared. They were terrified. And the same thing happens here. And so they fled to, to hide, and Daniel's left all by himself. Why is Daniel left all by himself? Because who is this vision for? It's for Daniel. I think that's cool. I think it's really cool that when you, when you seek the Lord, how the Lord deals with individuals, and how he answers your prayer, he answers your prayer, that doesn't mean he's going to answer that prayer for everybody else. That doesn't mean everybody else is going to be privy to your blessing. And that's the case here. It says in verse number 8, Therefore I was left alone, and I saw a great vision, and I had no strength remained to me, no strength remained to me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me. Now that phrase right there is very difficult to interpret because the Hebrew words used there are, have very broad meanings. And so there's a lot of different interpretations. If you were to pull out a, a, a parallel Bible and you were to look at the various uh, translations, you would get all sorts of different interpretations. But I believe the King James has it right. And I, 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 because it fits the context. Let me read you what the King James, how, how the King James uh, translates verse number 8. And I think they have it right. It says, Therefore I was left alone, and I saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned to corruption. My comeliness was turned to corruption. In other words, what I saw good in myself was turned to corruption and I retain no strength. Why didn't he have any strength? Because his comeliness was turned to corruption. So he, so he, fell up, he lost his strength and he falls on his face before the Lord. And that's, what's gonna, that's what happens to anybody when they come into the presence of, of the Lord and his holiness. When you come into the presence of the Lord of his holiness, what do you see? You see your depravity. I mean, I... I experience that in my own personal prayer, and I'm sure you do too. The closer I get to the Lord, the more depraved I find myself to be. The more evil I find myself to be. And I, I don't believe you're getting close to the Lord if, if that's not your experience. And the more you cry out for the Lord to make you holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, make me holy, holy, holy. So I can stand in your presence. So I don't have to fall on my face as dead because I'm so corrupt. I mean, here was Daniel. There's not a word said in the Bible about Daniel's sin. I don't think there was a more righteous man who walked this earth than Daniel. And yet, he sees himself as corrupt in the presence of a holy God. 
You remember what the Lord said about Job to Satan in chapter 1? He said, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? I mean, what a great description of Job by the Lord himself. But what happened when Job saw the Lord? What did he have to say? Let me tell you what he had to say. I abhor myself. I hate myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. He threw dust and ashes on himself. That's the cleanest thing he could find to cover himself in the presence of the Lord. When Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, you talk about a holy man. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, you remember what he said? Woe is me for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a nation of people with unclean lips. A bunch of cursing sailors. I live in, I live in their presence, and I'm one of them too. So here's Daniel, and his friends have fled. He sees the Lord, and he sees him in his glory. And he sees himself for what he is. And he actually kind of goes into shock. I mean, it really is a form of shock that he goes into. And then in verse number 9, Yet I heard the sound of words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Now, here's where the scene changes now. He heard the sound of many waters, this voice of many waters, of many voices, a loud voice, a distinct voice. And he falls on his feet as dead with his face to the ground. And suddenly a hand touched me. See, that's, I believe that's a different hand. Which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, greatly beloved man. Could God give you a better title than that? Greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent by the Lord to you. And while he was speaking the, the word to me, I stood trembling. I got up. But he was still trembling because here he was. He's still in the presence of an angel. You gotta, you, I mean, it had to be a pitiful sight. I mean, he's a 90-year-old man. Probably could barely stand as it was. And he stands up and he's, he's, he's just seen the Lord. And now he's in the presence of this great angel. And he said, I was standing there and I was trembling. I stood up like he told me to, but I was trembling. Man, be careful what you ask for. That's all I can say. You want a vision of the Lord? Man, you know, I really look forward to the day we see the Lord in glory. I look forward to that day, but that day also scares me. I mean, it scares me. Not scares in, a, in the sense I think harm's going to come to me. But just the awesome uh, experience of being in the presence of God scares me. I bet there'll be some trembling going on. You'll, you know, I bet there'll be some trembling going on. When you stand in the presence of a holy God who died for you, you see those scars on his hands and on his feet and you see all of that glory and you, you think about all the wasted opportunities, all the wasted time and I, how we neglected him after all he's done for us and, 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 and you know, he's still, 
That's all covered under the blood. But it'll be a frightening experience. It'll be a scary experience. But what an encouraging word the angel gives to Daniel. Look at what he says. He says, suddenly his hand touched me, which made me, made me tremble on my knees and the palms of my hands. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak. You're going to understand these words. And stand upright. You don't have to stay on your faith. Because the Lord sent me. The Lord sent me. And you are greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. By who? By the Lord. And because you're greatly beloved, God is going to answer that prayer. He's going to answer your troubled heart. He's going he's to give you peace in your heart through this vision. Because he's going to give you a future, a vision of the future of Israel. And you're going to see that, that in the end, God is going to win and that all of Israel is going to be saved. And you don't need to be troubled for Israel. You know, I hear people talk about, worried to death about Israel right now. I, I'm not worried a bit about Israel. I worry a lot more about the United States than I do Israel. Israel is the apple of God's eyes. And, and God might allow some discipline to happen to them that is scarier than the Holocaust, I don't know, to draw them to him. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm not worried about Israel. In the end, all of Israel will be saved. Those are God's people. And, and who's, who's going to save them? Is, is the United States going to save them? No. Is Russia going to save them? No. God's going to save them. So we don't have to worry about Israel. But I like that line, man. You are greatly beloved. Greatly beloved. You know, we talked a little bit this week about not showing partiality to others, treating everybody the same. And that can be said of God. I mean, God shows no partiality. Shows no partiality. In Romans 2, verse 11, there is no partiality with God. Peter says in Acts, verse 10, God is not a respecter of persons. He treats everybody the same. He wishes that none should perish. Everybody has the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. He would not turn anybody away. So what, what that means is we've all got the same chance to know God and to love God. It might be through a different circumstance, but there's, we're without excuse. I mean, you look at a sunset. If you're honest with yourself, you're without excuse. You know there's a God. And if you want to seek that God and find that God, you'll find him. You seek him with all his, your heart, you'll find him in a special way. But, even though God loves his children with an infinite love, and he does, that does not mean that there are people who are more special to God than others. I, I mean, look at the range in that statement where he says, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. It's a wide range of feelings about somebody. To hate somebody and to love somebody. It's a wide range and we all fall somewhere in between there. Or all of us fall there where Jacob fell. Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated, he says. 
But it says here, Daniel, you're greatly beloved. I mean, why was Daniel greatly loved by God? I'll tell you the answer. Because he had a great love for God. You want to be greatly loved by God? You want to be special to God? Then God needs to be special to you. That's the way it works. I mean, God has infinite love. And God loves, so loves the world. And God loves all of his children with infinite love. That's a lot of love. That's more love than you can, you can handle. But there are people that he can love in a special way during this life on earth because they love him in a special way. And he can use them in a special way because he's important to them. Because he's important to them, they are in conversation with him. And they're seeking him. And they're trusting him. And so they are special. I mean, there are, God does have, I don't even want to use the word favorites, but it's almost like a favorite. He has people that he blesses in a special way. Because, you know what? Their great reward is not the things of this world. Their great reward is the Lord. And they greatly beloved the Lord, and the Lord greatly beloves them. You know, I don't know where you're at with the Lord, and the good news is he loves us all with an infinite love. But man, just, just, think, of, just think of, here's Daniel getting these visions. Here's Daniel seeing the Lord. Here's Daniel doing this mighty work, and he moves a nation back into the promised land through his prayers. Like Elijah, you know, the prayer of one righteous man availeth much. A righteous man is someone who sees himself as Daniel saw himself, as a depraved sinner, as corrupt, who wants the holiness of God and wants to be used by God. That's, what it, that's how you get greatly beloved. I don't know where I'm at on that scale. I, I know I'm not there with Daniel. I don't know where you're at. But the opportunity is the same for us all. You're willing to do what Daniel did and seriously pray to the Lord three times a day. You'll see some cool things in your life. God's going to use you in a powerful way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for how much you love us all. And Lord, in the end, <laughs> Lord, when we're in heaven, it's going to be glorious for every single person there, Lord. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Lord, we want to be men like and women like our men like Daniel. Lord, we want to be like him. Lord, we want to we we want to we want to be like David. We want to be men and women after your own heart. Lord, because when we greatly love you, you greatly love us. And, and, and that's love in action, Lord. You're able to act through us and for us, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, in these very dark days we live in, I just ask that you, you, you just, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, give us that great desire that we should have for you. Lord, it's a choice, but we need your Spirit too. Lord, we just ask you to, to, to make us men and women who are greatly loved by you because we greatly love you.
Lord, we ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. He's in, it's in his precious name that I pray.